Hi, I'm Taryn Winterbrill, host of Bestseller TV on C-Suite Radio. On this show, I sit down with leading business authors to find out what makes their books stand out from the crowd. With thousands of new business books and titles being published each year, we try to make it just a little bit easier for you to decide which ones are worth the read. Thanks for listening. This podcast is part of the C-Suite Radio Network, turning the volume up on business. Hi, everybody. Welcome to Bestseller TV. I'm Taryn Winterbrill. We're here with Dr. James Kelly. He's the author of The Crucible's Gift, Five Lessons from Authentic Leaders Who Thrive in Adversity. It's great to have you with us. Thanks so much for having me here. I'm excited. Well, glad you could be here. Uh, The book has a very interesting title. I mean, it grabs you right away. I open the book wondering... What do you mean by crucible in the context of the title? And then what's the gift? You know, and what comes first, the gift or the crucible? The crucible. Yeah, so I'll let you answer that. No, so I think it's a great question. When you think about our lives, there's these micro moments that you have an opportunity to grow. And I call these the crucibles. Now, for me personally, it was the death of my father at 20. It was getting my PhD, marriage, kids. Some people's adversities are extreme, dramatic, some are minor. But in each one of these moments, it's the opportunity to make that crucible your gift. Mm. your moment of transformation, your moment of reflection. Mm. And this all comes from my podcast, Executives After Hours, where I've interviewed uh, over 130 leaders. And, you know, in this process of this interview, what you really start to find out, and I need to preference that my podcast is kind of unique. As you know, I'm sure you've been on a ton of podcasts, that many podcasts are about tactics and strategies and best marketing tool and best leadership tool and Mm -hmm. da-da. And for me... I don't really care so much about what you do. I care about who you are because who you are ends up defining what you do. Right. And so on my podcast, I really talk about your autobiographical journey from childhood to adulthood and learn all these crucibles. And from there, you try to figure out why you do what you do then? I could say yes, but, you know, I don't really care about that because where you're at in this moment right now, knowing your journey... I don't have to ask that question why you do X job. What I have to understand is who you are as a person, as a leader, because that's really important. And so that's why I said I don't really care about what you do. I care mostly about who you are in your own personal journey. Because what do we gain from that, though, by just interviewing? I mean, you can interview anyone about their autobiography. What are we, as the, as the listener, sure. what are we gaining from that? You're gaining all sorts of personal insights. Okay. Right? Like, what do you do in adversity? How do you respond in adversity? Ah, so everyone on your podcast has faced adversity? Majority of people have faced oh, some sort okay. of adversity. We okay. all have. We all have micro moments of right. a crucible. But the other thing I, w- I was curious, you know, going into the book, so it's five lessons from authentic sure. leaders uh, you know, we'll get into that process and more about the leaders in a moment, but specifically when I mentioned the title of the book, who thrive in adversity, yeah. that's a very specific niche. Mm-hmm. Why adversity? And were you considering other things? It kind of came out to me. Mm-hmm. So that wasn't the intent of the podcast. Okay. The, the intent really was just learning about people's journey. Right. Uh, I always kind of joke on my podcast that it's more about my own personal therapy. So <laughs> as I'm on the podcast, right. I'm like, Oh, that makes sense. Okay. I can equate that to my own life. Right. And again, as you see the numbers pile up, you start to realize that they all had some sort of adversity. They all made a pivot in their life. Mm. They all started to thrive as a leader because they knew who they were. One of the things I really learned a lot from these people is they would say, as soon as I got out of my own way, I started to thrive. Mm. I think that's a really interesting lesson that we sometimes forget as we grow as human beings. Right. So get out of my own way, meaning ego? My own ego, my own lack of self-confidence. My own inability to relate to people. Tell us a little bit about the leaders that you interviewed. Sure. For for the book. Yeah, for I the, mean for the content. Um, How'd you pick them? And 
Uh, I would, you know, it's funny because if, you know, if you're not uh, a Jeffrey Hazelit, you don't have the name to cold call people. So <laughs> Who? <laughs> who <yeah. laughs> uh, and Jeffrey was one of my guests actually on the show. But essentially, I would just kind of find people who I thought was interesting. You know, what you find in the podcast space, you know, there's so many podcasts out there. There's thousands and thousands of podcasts. Is that there's, there's probably, you know, 50, 60, 70 people who just kind of hop podcast to podcast because they're trying to sell something, which circuit, is great. Yeah, yeah, it's totally the circuit. Yeah. Uh, and what I actually do is I seek out people who don't go on podcasts because I don't want people who are trying to sell something. Yes, a lot of right. people have books that come on and that's great and I'll read the books and I'll sure. do what you're doing now. Mm-hmm. And it's really interesting. But I really want to find people who don't typically go share their stories because mm. that's where they're learning. So when we talk about the range of leaders, I had people all the way from startups, entrepreneurs, I interviewed a gentleman named Mo Gadot, who mm-hmm. is the chief business officer of Google X. He wrote a book, but his story is absolutely mind-blowing. I've um, interviewed a woman who, at age nine, was left in her house by herself because her mom was a drug addict Ugh. and a prostitute, and her right. and her sisters, and she was in the hospital for abuse, so forth and so on. What's amazing about her story yeah. is that she gets adopted. Her two sisters get adopted. One's older, one's younger. And you know what happens? She thrives, owns two galleries, one, L- one in LA, one in Philadelphia, mm-hmm. multimillionaire. Wow. Her two sisters struggle with addiction, wow. struggle with life in general. Why is she right. the one who thrives? Yeah, why? You know, Well, that's a great question. So in the podcast, you kind of find out that at, at moments in her life, there would be someone there that would nudge her. Where the other sisters either weren't receptive to it, mm. uh, didn't receive it. But for her, she was self-reflective enough to say that this is an opportunity for me to be different than my family. Okay. It's the grit inside her. But she had enough foresight to know that she wanted to be different. Totally. That this was not the norm, I yeah. guess, so to speak, or, you know, normal would, for her. In the podcast, she really shared the fact that she was just happy she was there. Right. She was happy she wasn't drinking out of a toilet bowl or being right. put in the hospital for abuse. Right. Wow. And she had the foresight, to your point, to say, okay, can I be different than the past? So interesting because it's nature versus nurture, yeah. you know, and it's like, wow, fascinating. Yeah. So let's kind of go through some of the five lessons sure. um, that, that you've taken away and yeah. you're sharing with us. Well, let's start with the idea of just the crucible and how that actually drives the rest of the lessons. Okay. So, you know, as I said earlier, you've had a moment of crucible, whatever mm-hmm. that is. In those moments of crucibles, it gives you an opportunity, whether it's immediately or in two months, 12 months, whatever. Right gives you an opportunity to be more self-aware. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of one of the first lessons you saw. Okay. And as you become more self-aware, if you're someone who is on a journey of life to grow, to be a better leader, to be a better executive, and really at the end of the day, be a better human being, because mm-hmm. that should be what we're trying to do, right? is that these individuals I found also then grew their compassion. Mm. And through this compassion, they grew their idea of being having more integrity. Right. There's moral and behavioral. So now we're up to really three lessons, self-aware, right. Compassion, integrity. Uh-huh. And then what I found, and this is the word I made up, so I'm going to coin it now and yeah. put a little TM next to it, the idea of being relatableness. And the idea of relatableness is more about individuals who seek out to learn about their coworkers, their colleagues, whether it's someone who is an admin, whether it is another C-suite executive. Right. They want to create shared meaning with that individual. And in that shared meaning becomes trust, loyalty, respect. And at the very end of all of this, to sandwich it together is the idea of learning. Mm. And these leaders really thrived about learning about themselves, about their team members, and really just about their general context or their field that they're in. Now, was it hard to narrow down all of this process into five? I think that's something that just was inside me. Nothing got left. Okay. This kind of just what came out. Right. You know, my background as a, as a PhD in marketing, you know, I'm a trained researcher. And so... 
for me, it became very clear that as themes kept popping up, that there was something to these themes. And maybe I collated things together and there's a spectrum between compassion or integrity, mm-hmm. but they all kind of just fit underneath this nice little umbrella to describe someone's journey to be more authentic. C-Suite Radio. Who is the ideal reader for the book? Mm. Who can gain the most, you think, from your lessons? I think there are two, yeah, I think there's two people that can gain the most. I think those who are the aspiring managers that want to move up to the next level, so VP okay. to directors, Great. for example. I also think, though, that there's leaders at the top who, you know, you talk to any consultant out there, there's leaders who are really aren't that self-aware. <laughs> you know, they don't know their own blind spots. Right. You know, they don't have the detectors on the car nowadays that tell you that something's coming up. Meaning they're overconfident? Over, could be overconfident or just don't really, aren't really aware of their weaknesses. Right. You know, I think that's human nature to not be aware of your weaknesses. Well, I think if you get into that position of power, you mm-hmm. think, well, there's a reason I'm here. Yeah, I'm so always why, right. Why do yeah, I need yeah. to change? Why exactly. do I need to grow? Exactly. But if you look at like the Jack Welshes or, or arguably even the Jeffrey Hazlitts, mm-hmm. they have the ability to surround themselves with people who might say no who might right. give a different opinion, right. who might say this is a blind spot. And so you have the executives at the top end who, who may not be their true self. You know, I think that you see this a lot also with managers in their early 30s. They really start to struggle with what role do I play in an organization? Who am I? How much of me should I show in the workplace versus mm. have that wall right. Right, between private and public? And I think that's a really difficult question for some people. I find for a lot of women I interviewed, it's a really difficult thing. They really have a very hard separation. I was just going to say, what's your advice for, we'll say, early 30s, this, mm. this difficult situation, you know, when you're in that pickle, yeah. but the changes, <laughs> male versus female. So I think it, the perspective of what you can share and, yeah. you know, obviously there's a reason why, you know, Sheryl Sandberg's book exists and all yeah. these, you know, things for women because of this difficult, you know, the journey women have Absolutely. up the corporate ladder, up to the C-suite rather versus a man. I mean, it's just the world we live in. Well, there's, you know, there's a woman I actually interviewed just last week mm-hmm. and she's an African-American who's a leader mm-hmm. in her early forties. And I asked her this question. Uh-huh. I said, you know, you're African-American, you're leading women. How did you get yourself up in the organization? How did you move up? Right. And she said, you know, ironically, white males were the most receptive to me. Mm. The most difficult were females. Yeah. yeah. I, and I was actually female, blown away by that. I was no, like, really? Yeah. I would, I would say if you took a survey, most females would say they'd prefer a male boss than a female boss. When I asked her, why do you think women were harder for you in terms of mentorship and growth? Right. And her, her perspective was that women who were bosses or leaders, they want to be perceived as giving other women a leg up in the organization. Hmm. Yeah. I mean, my sister's a manager. I have this talk with her. Not all, I find that maybe this just might be how we're biologically, you know, disposed, our genetics, how we're wired. I find that women are just, you can't, some, some women, they say like Angelina, like she's not a, Angelina Jolie, she's not a girl's girl. Yeah. You know, like she's, there's girls, girls, and then girls that are not girls, girls too. And there are some girls who have a sisterhood who want to see others succeed. But at the end of the day, I have a lot of friends who are in leadership roles. Women leaders are harder to come by than men. Mm-hmm. So when you do get in that role, you're threatened by other mm-hmm. women because it was so hard to get yeah. that you, you're afraid that she'll take your spot. And there's so of, few spots to get totally. compared and, to And men. that came out as well in that conversation. That's perfect. Right. You've, you've nailed that. So it's, it's just a different level. So, you know, it's not, not as threat. many. Yeah, different, yeah. Just not as many roles. And it's a shame because it is a shame. 
if you try to be on the same team, you, you know, there's a reason there's that word synergy. Yeah. You know, we're stronger together than we are apart. Well, but it, not it, everybody sees that. In my opinion, I wish I wish that more organizations had more women in the senior leadership. Mm-hmm. You know, unfortunately, as a male, we tend to be too ego driven in the moments of choice. Right. You know, and so it'd be great to have that balancing act there. But the as process. a man, do, you, do men feel when they get to that level of leadership, do they feel threatened or competitive with other men the way women do? I think. Uh, I, <laughs> Not in being, your perspective. Not but, being a woman. No, uh, I'm saying being ever. as a man. Um, being I don't a man. think so. I think, yeah. I think it depends on the person, though. So let's be clear. I think it right. depends on the person, the industry, the context, the culture of the organization. Right. All of that. You know, I had, a, I had a friend of mine I was talking to just last night, and he's like, I have to email my boss. I'm like, do you? It's uh-huh. Sunday. Right. He's like, well, you don't understand the, the culture in New York. You True. have to. Right. And I was like, but aren't you partaking in a culture that's unhealthy living? Right. Yeah. And so it's kind of one begets the other. Yeah, but well, different expectations, different Correct. roles. But I also think, too, that it just comes down to confidence, yeah. right? I think more women it's feel true. threatened that they're going to lose that coveted yeah. position. So they're just more on edge and are afraid to mm-hmm. let someone else in. Yeah, there, Whereas there, men are more confident, maybe. You well, know? I'll tell you, there was a woman I interviewed named Lisa uh, Buckingham. And mm-hmm. She's the chief human resource officer of Lincoln Financial, Fortune 200 company. She is the most authentic woman I've ever met. And she breaks all the stereotypes. Okay, because? She, she posts on social media. She tells her life to her, her workforce, her employees, her, her, her colleagues. Uh-huh. She is very transparent. She's very open. She's very honest. You know everything about her. Not in an unhealthy way, but uh-huh. in a way that says, I care about you. You should care about me. And I have a life outside of work. Right. And we can create meaning around that. Okay. She, to me, is, a, is an absolute brilliant example of of a woman who's at this point just kind of says, I am who I am. I thrive in my job. I have the support of the CEO and I want you to support me as well. But that said, James, do you think she's able to act that way and be her authentic self when she got to this position of power or was she that way from the beginning when she was at the bottom rung of the ladder? Yeah, that's a great question. And that wasn't clear in the interview. What I'll tell you is that her, she came from New York to Mm -hmm. Philadelphia and her first day on the job, she walked in in hot red leather pants at a financial company. Wow, that's so, bold. Exactly. <laughs> she, was, a risk. she was pretty much from day one saying, this is who I am, hear me wow. more. So she was setting the tone. Okay, exactly. so she started in a, in a exactly. position okay, yeah. like that. All right, now just to get back to the um, the model, you know, mm-hmm. these ideas of relatableness, your yeah. word, uh, self-awareness, and integrity, compassion. Can you teach compassion? Can you teach sure. integrity? Sure. You can. Sure. In the, in the book, I list at the end of each chapter through the help of, of two colleagues of mine, Dr. Seth Gillahan mm-hmm. and Dr. Kara O'Leary. Um, they give insight in ways to practice this. Okay. Right? So compassion can be something really simple. And I think that I want to use compassion because and talk about compassion really quickly here because I think compassion is mixed with empathy. Mm-hmm. And they're on the same par in terms of understanding someone's feelings. But where they differ is the idea of relieving someone's suffering. Mm. And so we use the word suffering, which feels like such a loaded word, right? It could be something as simple as, I'm thirsty, here, have some water. Right. It doesn't have to be a dramatic thing. And so when you think about compassion in the workplace, it could be something as simple as giving someone some water, getting up out of your desk and helping someone. Basically, essentially, not putting yourself first for a few minutes a day. Okay. And over time... You know, there's science behind this is when you start living compassionately, right. you're actually a happier person, a healthier yeah. person. You can teach these habits. No, it's good to know because I mean, I've had these conversations with people. It's like, is there a compassion gene? Is there an integrity yeah. gene? Because, you know, we've all gone to school with people, mm-hmm. specifically in college, competitive atmospheres where it's like they don't have, you know, yeah. a bone in their body that's labeled <laughs> compassion or integrity. They just didn't, for they didn't get that gene. So that's what I was curious, you know, yeah. and you're finding, yeah. do you think it's universal? I mean, or you have Nothing's to have universal, right? some desire to mm-hmm. achieve that goal. I think that's the correct term. Right. right? Nothing's universal. Mm-hmm. No one can be more authentic or 
for lack of a better term, be more self-aware or compassionate unless they choose to be. Right. Look at the pharma bro, the guy who just uh, yeah. raised the, the, yeah. that drug price by like 900%. Yeah. He just smiled in the courtroom the whole time, which is right. very Right. Something eerie. doesn't tell me that he can yeah. be taught compassion <laughs> no, or integrity. No. Um, last question for you, James. I can't believe we're out of time. But you, know, you said this was all based on your podcast. What made you want to put this onto paper, all these lessons? You know, I think initially, the short was the podcast started as something totally different. Uh-huh. And it started with a different name. And about 50 episodes in, I started to see a theme. And when I started the podcast, I did have a book in, made for this in my head, but it wasn't this topic. Okay. It was a topic about wellness and CEOs. And it totally just wasn't there in the 50th episode of what I was looking for. Right. And as these concepts started popping up, I just pivoted. You know, like any good entrepreneur, if you see something else, you should pivot. Right. Right. And I just pivoted. And, and so I had the intent of writing a book, just not this book when it started. Interesting. Okay, cool. I was wondering the whole genesis of, yeah. of the idea. Well, the book's great. It's a really catchy title and um, very user-friendly. So congratulations on the first book. It's a big accomplishment. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. And if you'd like more information on the book, just head to our website. It's csweetbookclub.com, c-sweetbookclub.com. Like what you just heard, visit c-sweetradio.com. C-Suite Radio, turning the volume up on business. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.